Meekness is internal. Gentleness is external. And together what they do is they control our thoughts and our actions and we become Christians who are meek or who are gentle. And if somebody comes along and they offend us, the natural reaction is to to light into them, to tell them off, to get even, to retaliate. But the Christian nature is to be meek. It's to let it ride. It's to let it go and to react in a Christ-like manner, and to trust God with those offenses and those things that go wrong and those knives in the back and all that, knowing God is sovereign. He, he wastes no experiences. He knew it was coming. And we say all things work together for good to them that love God, and we remain meek. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. There's three chapters here in a row, 5, 6, and 7, where we have the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's a famous sermon by Jesus Christ. And within it, you find what is the Beatitudes. The blessed are these or the blessed are those. There's nine in all, and uh, they start in verse 3 and go down through verse 11. We're not going to look at all of them, but we are going to look at one of them. And it's found in verse number 5. So let's start at the beginning and lead up to that. And seeing the multitudes, he, that is Christ, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Just ten words. But a lot within that verse 5 there. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're going to be talking about the blessed meek. The blessed meek. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now for your word, and we thank you for the golden nuggets that we can mine from it. And help us to dig now these truths out of it today. And we pray that uh, most of all, we would apply what we hear, and we would change in this very area that we are talking about with your help and by your grace We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This uh, week, in fact, on Thursday, uh, part of the tour in the Holy Land that we'll be taking in over there in the uh, Middle East involves going to Old Capernaum and uh, Golan and what's called the Mount of the Beatitudes. In fact, within a few days, we'll be right on the very hillside. It's a grassy hillside, if you can picture it in your mind, where this uh, crowd assembled to hear Christ, but it sounds like from verse 1, he, he went aside with the apostles. It says, in seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. It's on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, and it's near, like I said, Capernaum, Bethsaida. And Christ here is focusing on his disciples, and he's trying to teach them and prepare them for his departure so that they can take these truths and take them to the world. He gives them some especially important instruction here in the Sermon on the Mount. And in these these verses here, we find the word blessed, meaning happy. In verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does he mean by that? 
the poor in spirit sounds like somebody who's bummed out and gloomy and has the blues and is depressed, but it doesn't mean that at all. That's not what he's saying. That actually means in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor means beggarly for. Beggarly for. And that which is spiritual. And what he's saying is blessed are those who are like uh, hungering and thirsting after God and truth and spiritual matters. They're not filling their cup with the junk of the world, the tabloids and the talking heads and what Hollywood has to offer, but what, what this book has to offer. Blessed are those, he says, who are poor in spirit or beggarly for the spiritual. And then he says in verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now this isn't talking about somebody who's, who's down and sad, but somebody who's actually sorrowing for sin. Blessed are they that are mourning after their own sin. Or blessed are those who are mourning after the sin of our society. It's the word plethio, and it means those who actually care for what's going on in this land and going on in this world and, and how society is going downhill all the time. And so we see that in those first two. He has a, a great truth to teach in each. Well, in verse number 5, he comes along and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, just ten words. But from this passage here, we can learn what meekness is, and we can also learn how to become meek. Now, again, the word blessed in the Greek means happy. And it's talking about an unadulterated happiness. Undiluted, pure happiness. Perfect happiness. Lasting happiness. And in the Beatitudes, we find in these nine statements where Christ is saying over and over again, happy is this person. Happy is that person. And He's given us the ways to happiness. And so it behooves us to pay attention. Because who doesn't want to be happy? You know, if you ask the average person out there in, in this town and in this area, what is it that you want? They might say, oh, I want this or I want that. But really what they're saying is, I want to be happy. And if I had this or if I had that, I would be happy. They asked Liz Taylor after being married six, seven, eight times, what is it that you want? And she said, I just want to be happy. And she was being honest. People want to be happy. But being happy is not what you think. And you don't get it the way most people think you get it. This doesn't say blessed or happy is the man who, who goes to the mall with a lot of money or goes to the, the Valley Fair or Disney World or, or has a fancy house. Blessed or happy is the man who drives a fancy car or gets a new job that pays real well. Happy is the person who has a lot of things. It doesn't say that at all, but that's what the world thinks. No, we find the Son of God here telling us how to have complete happiness, how to have ongoing happiness, and it's not the way we would think. That verse 5 says, happy or blessed are the meek. It's the Greek word pros. And it means basically mild, uh, humble. Happy are those who are mild, who are humble. Actually, what he's saying is those who have a right attitude about themselves. And, and the meek person will have the right attitude about himself. In fact, keep your place here with a, a piece of paper or something. But go to, to Romans chapter 12. And I want to show you what the Bible has to say. And we looked at it earlier here today. But it talks about having the right opinion of yourself. And I'll explain what I mean by this. There are some, they're, they're always looking up to, to others. There are some who are always looking down on others. And neither one is balanced. In Romans 12 and in verse 3, Paul says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, what he's saying here is whatever gifts, whatever abilities, whatever talents, attributes, qualities we might have, they're God-given. He hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And there's nothing to brag about. In fact, we find over in 1 Corinthians, it tells us there's nothing we have, but it was not God-given. God gave it to us. And so we find out Paul is saying he knew he had been given some grace. Paul was a sharp fellow. And he, he says, I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Now he's saying, really, don't think too highly of yourself. Honestly, though, don't think too lowly of yourself because there are, there are some, and, and uh, really they, they claim to be meek, but it's pride. Uh, you ask him to do something for the Lord, well, I'm, I'm the wrong guy, and, and I'm not the, the right guy, and, and uh, I can't help you out. And it's really a false humility. I, I mean, really, when Christ is saying, blessed are the meek, he's talking about those who think equally. In other words, not too highly, not too low, because nobody is, is better than you and nobody is worse than you. He says, blessed are the meek, meaning the equal ones that have the right view of themselves. You know, at this church, we try not to have a caste system, and we try to make the, the little kid who rides on the bus feel as important as the deacon or, or the staff member, whoever it might be. Now, also back here in Matthew chapter 5, that word meek, Blessed are the meek. It's taken from the, the root word praos, which means gentle. Blessed are the gentle. You say, well, pastor, what's the difference? Meek, gentle, they're the same thing. Well, no, they're really not the same thing. There's a difference in meekness and gentleness. Meekness involves our thoughts, thinking meekly. Uh, gentleness involves our actions. Meekness is inward. Gentleness is outward. Meekness is our feelings. Uh, gentleness is our actions. Meekness is internal. Gentleness is external. And together what they do is they control our thoughts and our actions and we become Christians who are meek or who are gentle. And if somebody comes along and they offend us, the natural reaction is to, to light into them, to tell them off, to get even, to retaliate. But the Christian nature is to be meek. It's to let it ride. It's to let it go and to react in a Christ-like manner and to trust God with those offenses and those things that go wrong and those knives in the back and all that knowing God is sovereign. He, he wastes no experiences. He knew it was coming and, and we say all things work together for good to them that love God and we remain meek. You know, I think of the uh, young man Joseph back there in the Old Testament. His brothers did him dirty. I mean, imagine your siblings selling you into slavery and then uh, you ending up in a dungeon and being falsely accused. I mean, when the shoe was on the other foot eventually and the knife was to their throat and they're sweating bullets and going, Dad's dead now. Gulp, you know, Joseph's going to come after us. Joseph didn't retaliate, did he? He said, no, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He was meek about the thing. He practiced a Christian quality there. You know, human nature says if someone did me dirty, I'm going to get them. But a Christ-like nature says I accept it. I will be meek about this. Honestly, it could have been the other way around. Who can say they've never offended somebody else? There was a preacher years ago who was walking through a, a dark forest in the UK, and he was mugged by some robbers at night. They took everything he had. Afterwards, he recorded in his diary, and he said, Well, I got, I got robbed tonight. He said, but I have some things to thank God for. First of all, they roughed me up, but 
they didn't hurt me. He said, secondly, they took everything that I had, but it wasn't much. And he said, thirdly, I'm thankful that I was the one who got robbed and not me doing the robbing. You know, it could have been the other way around. He found the silver lining in it. He remained meek. You know, sometimes I'll have two church members come in to the office or the counseling room and I'll feel like I'm playing referee. And you heard Brother Wagenschutz mention that the other night and I thought, hey, yep, yep. Uh, in, the, in the ministries, quite often you feel like you're, you're, you're breaking up fights a lot. You know, if, if one just decided to be Christ-like, they would say, if, if, if I'm going to be meek, I'll just let it go. I'll just forbear. You find that word forbear or forbearance quite a bit in the Bible. And the best definition of it really is to picture a yield sign. A yield sign. What does it mean to forbear? What does it mean to yield? If you yield to somebody, you just kind of let them go by and then you take your turn. Same thing with forbearance. When we forbear, it's basically saying, okay, I'm going to stay meek. Now, we don't feel like doing that, quite honestly. So how do we deal with our feelings? Well, look in Colossians chapter 3, if you would. I've heard people make this statement, you have too, that, well, it's not right to do it if you don't feel like it. And that sounds good. But let me just mention a verse to you you're familiar with. Jesus Christ made this statement in the Gospels. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, what did he mean by that? He said, whatever you go forward doing, your heart is going to follow. You know, I know some spouses who have practiced forbearance for years toward their spouse, and they love their spouse. I know others who have not, and they don't love their spouse. It's not a matter of the feeling. You might not feel like being nice. You might not feel like forgiving, but where your treasure is, there will your heart be. If you decide, I'm going to do it because the Bible says to do it, because it's Christ-like, the feeling will follow. I promise you that. Now, notice in Colossians 3 what it has to say about this whole feeling business. In verse 12, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, there's our word, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now, it says a whole bunch of things there. This really is a passage that's a whole sermon within itself. But you find that it keeps mentioning to put on this and to put on that. You say, well, is it saying to, 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 to have a put on? You know, no, I'm not saying that. But it's talking about like you get, you get dressed in the morning and you put on a shirt and you put on a tie and you put on a jacket, you put on your shoes, you put on whatever. It's saying to, to put on these things, meaning every morning you say this is what Christ would be like. He would be meek. He would be kind. He would be gentle. And God help me today by your grace because you live inside of me and you give me the wherewithal to do it to put on this thing called meekness. I am going to react in a Christ-like manner today no matter what happens. I am not going to retaliate. I'm going to put on meekness. I'm going to put on gentleness. I'm, I'm going to forbear. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to get even. I'm not going to retaliate. God says vengeance is mine and I'm just going to leave that to Him. I'm going to trust God and leave it up to Him. You know, I know a fellow, he was a friend of mine, we went to Bible college together, who was shot in the head, point blank, 
twice and lived. But I'm telling you, he had to go through some therapy and some other things afterwards. And I, all I could imagine is, oh, how you would feel bitter toward a guy who would do that to you. But as far as I know, he bears no animosity toward that man. He has decided to practice this thing called meekness. Notice in uh, Colossians 3, in verse number 10, it says, And you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, who's that? Who created you? The Lord. And so we're really acting like the Lord in his image when we're meek. Verse 14, again, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of completeness or perfectness. You know, like you'd put on, endoo is the Greek word there, like you'd put on a suit. Even if you don't feel like being meek, even if you don't feel like being gentle, you practice that with your spouse. You practice that with another Christian. And God will provide the feeling if you have to have it. Be gentle even if you don't feel like it, and you'll feel like it. Be kind even if you don't feel like it, and eventually you'll feel like it. Behave even if you don't feel like it, and eventually you'll feel like it. That's meekness. Look in 1 Corinthians, just some pages back here. You say, can this be done? Well, let me just mention in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about even the struggles he had. In fact, you might think Paul was above all the, 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 the ruckus and, and all that, the scrapes, but, but he was in the middle of that just as much as we are. And he had to really work at this thing called temperance, moderation, and ruling his spirit. And in verse 27, the very, the very last verse of chapter 9 here in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Meaning uh, a bad testimony or inconsistent. Have you ever blew your stack and afterwards thought, boy, I blew my testimony there? Paul talks about that. He talks about controlling it, controlling it. And with God's help, we can. The devil doesn't want us to know that. But greater is he that liveth in you than he that is in the world. And we can practice meekness. Now, this thing of, of meekness really wasn't a virtue to the ancients. The Plato's and the Socrates and Aristotle's and, and that bunch thought it was really weak to be meek. And it was a quality you didn't want to have. They mocked anyone who was weak. Look back in Numbers chapter 12 where we were last time and we talked about Moses and used him as an example. And let me point out something to you about the mindset of, of people back in those days. You ever wonder why Moses was continually being challenged? I mean, if it wasn't Korah, it was, uh, it was guys like uh, Dathan and Abiram and, and, and the 250 princes and, and even his own sister Miriam brother Aaron and they're always taking pot shots at Moses here and the reason for that is well he was meek and even at that time these folks had come out of the Egyptian culture never forget that and within the mindset of the Egyptians if you were meek you were a wimp and, and so all these these people are coming after Moses because that's what they thought they had a worldly mindset and Moses was taking it notice here in Numbers chapter 12 and in verse number 1 it says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men 
which are upon the face of the earth. You know what that means? That word very there means diligently meek. He worked at being meek. And the word meek there means gentle. We, we find out that Moses wasn't just a meek man. He was the most meek man on the earth. And all these people kept coming after him and challenging him because they mistook that meekness for weakness. And I'm not saying Moses never lost it. We know better, don't we? <laughs> he hit the rock when he was supposed to speak. I mean, you would as well. I mean, you got three million of people coming after you all the time, and it finally it gets to them here. You know, I, I've been talking lately about the role of elders and pastors at another hour. There is a, a reason, I think, that God tells the elder to take the oversight of the local church because if he does not, somebody else will. Uh, a, a guy like a Korah or a guy like a, a Dathan or Byram, and, and they will take it in the wrong direction. It, it's not a matter of, of, of some power trip, but the, the bottom line is if he does not take the oversight, if Moses did not take the oversight here, the wrong person would have. But the world perceives meekness as, as weakness, but Jesus Christ took it and he flipped it upside down and he taught something totally different when he said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. He lifted the word meek to a, a nobility that it had never attained before. And, and even the people of his day, I mean, the jaws were dropping as they went, what? Blessed are the meek? That's unorthodox. In fact, look back in Matthew chapter 11. That whole business of Christ advocating meekness was, what, was not a one-time event. Here in Matthew chapter 11, we find that it's the very way that he chooses to describe himself. Of all the things he could have said, I am this or I am that, watch what he says here. In Matthew chapter 11 and in verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am omnipotent, no, omniscient, no, omnipresent, no, sovereign, no. He says, for I am meek, and lowly in heart. Now, he is all those things and more. But of all the things he could have said, I am fill in the blank, he said, I am meek, and I am lowly in heart. Look in chapter 21. We uh, took a look at this scenario earlier today. It was the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And we find some words here in Matthew 21 that give us a little more insight than we had over there in Mark in verse number 4, it says, All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek. He enters Jerusalem on a donkey very meekly. Now, Jesus was meek, but was he weak? Was he a wimp? Uh, no, I think as I study the Bible, I find out he's a rugged man, a strong man, a man's man, a man who can take a cord or a scourge and, and drive out the money changers when they're defiling the temple and say, uh, my house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And they scatter. They scatter. Now, you and I can, need to be careful about the extreme because sometimes we blow our stack and we go, well, Jesus did it. No, what Christ did was righteous indignation. What we do is we blow our stack. <laughs> Let's just be honest, okay? Uh, we whack out. But meekness is not asserting our own rights. Not at all. It's living for God's glory. Look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 4. 
Let's look at a few more verses quickly here and then make an application in the time we have left. We find uh, some real powerful words here, ones the devil hates, in Ephesians 4 and uh, in verses 1 through 3. Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing, there's that word, yielding one to another in love, and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If there is one thing we need to work on as a local church, that word endeavoring means striving, really working at it. And, and, and what it's saying is endeavoring to keep unity in the church here and, and keep us on the same page and pulling on the same end of the rope. Because if we don't, the devil can divide and conquer. And we'll find ourselves powerless, souls not being saved, because there's these skirmishes going on within the local church. Notice again verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It means evidently we're going to have to work at it, folks. And that's going to require meekness. We can get on each other's nerves. And maybe there's somebody sitting in this room right now that uh, you're on the outs with, that you don't really care for. Uh, They rub you the wrong way. Let me just say, why don't we get along? Honestly, as a pastor, I don't want to go around with a fire hat and extinguisher, putting out fires all the time, saying, okay, let's stop that. Let's decide we're going to be meek, and let's just uh, cut the thing off by the roots and say, Jesus was meek and lowly. He tells us now to be meek, and we, by God's grace, can be. Look in Titus chapter 3, if you would. You know that meekness means basically not self-willed. You show me a Christian who's continually in the middle of problems. You show me a high-maintenance church member, and they're out there. I will show you somebody who is self-willed. Self-willed. Not practicing meekness. They cannot be helped. In Titus chapter 3 and in verse number 1, it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. There it is. It's a command. Showing meekness. Look back a few pages to Galatians 5. This is just something I'm going to interject here, kind of an afterthought. But in Galatians 5, we find the famous, what we call the famous fruit of the Spirit. They're, they're not fruits, and, and though we look at them as individual things, but it's a package. It's, it's uh, attributes Christian people ought to have if they're filled with the Spirit. Now, it mentions the works of the flesh, which we don't want to have. And then in verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. And there's our word, meekness. Followed by temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified or put to death the flesh with the affections and lusts. We find the word meekness found within the fruit of the Spirit. You know, this meekness in self comes about really, part of it at least, is when we're secure in who we are. We can live meekly. And, uh, and we're thinking equally. Blessed are the meek who think equally. Not really worshiping anyone, 
Not really condescending, looking down on anyone. We don't think too highly or too lowly, but we think equally. They are blessed. They are blessed. And we are secure in who we are. You know that the, the sweetest music doesn't come from a big ostrich, does it? Or a vulture. Or an eagle. You know, all the big dogs. We go, oh boy, they're the big birds. No. The little wren or, or the little uh, lark or, or the little canary give out the sweetest music, don't they? They, 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 they can be themselves. They're, they're fine with who they are. Somebody so well said the sweetest music comes from Christians who are small in their own estimation before the Lord. We are just fine with that. The greatest estimation of Christian growth, I think one of the greatest estimations of whether we're growing or not, is whether we are becoming more meek, more gentle, more kind all the time. I uh, remember the story of one preacher, and he was getting up there in years, and he had learned the hard way, and he had been kind of rough and abrasive, and and he said, you know, at this point on, I want to uh, just be meek and eventually grow old and just creep into heaven unnoticed. (laughs) I've never forgotten that. Just live meekly and creep into heaven unnoticed. Now, there are some French benefits back in the Psalms, if you want to turn there. We looked at one or two before, but just by way of refresher. In Psalm 25, we find really an incentive to be meek. It's worth it because there are some blessings that come along with it. In Psalm 25 and in verse number 9, it says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Do you want to be guided in judgment? Do you want to make good decisions? Maybe you have a decision on your heart right now you're contemplating. Well, meekness will help you to make the right one because verse 9 says, the meek will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his way. Look, if you would, in Psalm 147. Psalm 147 gives us another fringe benefit of saying by God's grace, I am going to live a meek life, have a meek existence while I'm on this earth. In Psalm 147 and in verse number 6, the Bible says the Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. But noticing in that first part, the Lord lifteth up the meek. Are you a little bit downtrodden today? Uh, a little bit under a heavy laden load? Well, it says the meek will the Lord lift up. God can lift you up if you're meek. Look across the page in Psalm 149. and verse 4, it says, For the Lord taketh pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Now that can mean salvation if you're lost. It takes humility in order to get saved. Or it can be a meekness after salvation. And that, that means God will save you out of these, these, these valleys and these pits and these times when our backs are to the wall. Look in Isaiah chapter 29 if you would. Fringe benefits. This is a doozy. In uh, Isaiah 29, just the beginning of verse 19. It says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. Who does not want to have joy in the Lord? What takes? It takes meekness. Now, to the ancient pagans, meekness was kind of like defiling yourself. You're lowering and you're condescending yourself and and you're being a doormat. To Christian people, though, it's especially different. And, and by the way, there's so many things we could look at. Ladies, 1 Peter 3 talks about you having a meek and a quiet spirit. 
It's something for gals to work on. It's something to train our young ladies in. But listen, great Christians are meek Christians. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we won't turn there, but he was talking about how he could have been assertive. I mean, he was an apostle. Uh, He's seen the Lord. He had a commission. He could demand some things. But he said, I, Paul, myself, beseech you instead by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Get along, basically. He said, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. The meek will gently submit to God. They'll, They'll submit to His Spirit. They'll submit to His Word. They'll even submit to His chastisement, His rod, with a good attitude. The meek, by the way, would rather forgive 20 offenses than revenge one. Why? Because that's what Christ would do. That is what meekness is. The Bible said, happy are the meek. And they have this undisturbed enjoyment in life, secure in the relationship they have with the Lord. And that meekness produces a peace. A peace. You know, we can sometimes be our own worst enemy, being self-assertive and and jockeying for position and and elbowing and trying to get notoriety and and attention and self-promotion. And what Jesus Christ said went totally against the grain. He said, that's the world's way. We don't do it that way. The Jewish people were always in a scrape. You have to know something about the Israelites. They were always fighting and and, and feuding and fussing. And the Romans took them over in 63 B.C. Before that, you find the Maccabean revolt taking place against Antiochus Epiphanes. Before that, it was the Medo-Persians or it was the Greeks or it was Babylon, the Assyrians. They always had some of the Philistines. There was always somebody that they were fighting against or somebody they were under and they despised the thought of being under somebody. In fact, they lived in denial. They lived in denial. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And and they said, we're not in bondage. Really? (laughs) Really? You are in bondage. You've always been in bondage. They absolutely hated that bondage. I was over in Rome a few years ago and, and, and learned something I didn't know about the Roman Colosseum. I had read a lot about it, but I never knew that it was built with Jewish slaves. Did you know that? It was built, in fact, I thought it was around the time of Christ, but it was built about 40 years after the time of Christ, about 70 A.D. What happened in 70 A.D.? Well, Titus, the Roman general, came to Jerusalem and finally destroyed the place and took back a lot of the booty and built that Colosseum with Jewish money and Jewish slaves. By the way, it's amazing. The the skill of the Jewish people was absolutely amazing. But Titus massacred over a million people, historians tell us, at the time when he came and destroyed Israel there. And, And there were some that fled And sometime this week or later, those going to the Holy Land are going to be able to visit Masada. It's this high plateau that the Jewish people fled to. It was like a summer palace of Herod. And they overcame the guards and threw them over the cliff and and took that place over. And it took the Roman general Flavius Silva, I think it was three years, to finally build a ramp up there with Jewish slaves and come over the top. But to his amazement, there was no Jews alive there. They had committed suicide the night before. But I mean, that was their mentality. We will fight to the death. And the whole thought for the Jews of being meek was foreign. Absolutely foreign. That's the reason they eventually hated Christ. They thought he'd be a deliverer and a Messiah and somebody who could overthrow the tyranny of Rome. And when he didn't, they hated him. They, they said, 
crucify him. He refused to fight. You know, even on trial when they, they slapped him, I was reading this earlier in John chapter 18. In verse 23, Jesus answered, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? He didn't go, oh, I'll get you for that. He just went, what did I say? There he is being meek again, as a lamb to the slaughter. You know, this mistaken weakness of, 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 uh, of meekness being a weak thing was a stumbling block to the Jews. It was foolishness to the Greeks. To the world, they just didn't get it. But again, meekness is not weakness. What it is, is it's strength under control. Really, the stronger person is the one who keeps it in check. And, and the meek don't have to conquer. In fact, back to our text there in Matthew chapter 5. There's, there's something in this verse, and I'll end with it. It's the last part. He says in verse 5, Blessed are the meek. Now, what's this part? For they shall inherit the earth. What was he getting at there? Well, the Jews were always trying to conquer the earth. <laughs> and he comes along and says there's a better way. Live meekly and you will inherit the earth. In fact, to the born-again Christian, we read in 1 Corinthians 3 that all things are yours. You're a joint heir with Christ. When you come to Christ, you inherit it all. In Revelation 21.7, it says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Christ was saying, you don't have to conquer it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now look in Psalm 37. And I'll close with the verse that Jesus Christ was actually quoting that day on that Sermon on the Mount. You say, Pastor, where do I start? Well, you start by putting on meekness. You say, how do I do that? I don't feel like it. Well, Paul talked about bringing his body under subjection. Jesus talked about where your treasure is, there your heart be. Bible talks about greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And all over the, play, the pages of the Scriptures, there's a plethora of, of, of verses that speak of God's grace enabling us to be what we ought to be. Deciding to be gentle. Deciding to be kind. Deciding uh, to be mild to our spouse, to our kids, to each other here in this local church. It's a decision we make. Now, in Psalm 37... This is what Jesus Christ was quoting that day. Verse number 11. It says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. If you and I want to know peace, we're going to have to practice meekness. Totally backwards to the world, totally foreign to the society and every that's been before here, but to the Christian. It's a secret weapon we have. I guess as I've looked at this, I've said, God, help me in this area. Help me to get up every morning and put on meekness and forbearance and kindness and gentleness. It's hard throughout the day. You get kicked enough and you go, but by God's grace, it is possible for us to live blessed lives. Blessed are the meek. God help us. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. 
Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.